Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. We're going to read Psalm 46, which is on page 269, if you'd like to have a Bible with you in the, in the Pew Bible, it's on page 269. Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamot, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in many different frames of mind today, even as, and especially on a Sunday. Some of us worked too hard this last week. Some of us might have energy left over, and many of us feel spent from facing our troubles. So through your living and active word, God, would you let us behold you and your wondrous works and change our own hearts today. Allow us to be still and know that you are God. Amen. You can have a seat. This is delicious. My wife made me a a latte this morning. Got her an espresso machine for Christmas, and she made me a latte. It's really, really good. Um, One of my favorite parts of being awake is coffee. Um... Did you know that there's about 90 milligrams of caffeine in your average cup of coffee? 90 alone is probably enough to prepare you for a day. But I recently learned uh, through some research that you can realistically have about 350 milligrams of, coffee, of caffeine before you cross into the tipping point of what uh, experts call adverse effects. Um, and I don't really know who these experts are or what that word adverse really means, but it's not enough to really scare me away from them. Uh, Disclaimer though, please talk to your doctor um, if you have any sudden changes in caffeine intake or if you're facing adverse effects, whatever those might be. Um, I'm really not that bad. I probably have about 200 milligrams, like two and a half cups per day, so I'm well under that 350. Um, Maybe if I got enough sleep last night, I'd, I'd do a little bit less than that, but what is caffeine actually doing to me? Why does it make me feel so good? Well, the caffeine molecule, 
little science for you. It mimics a molecule called adenosine, which your body naturally produces. Um, and this is the, the chemical or the hormone that, that causes your body to go to sleep when it gets tired. It's, it's a sleepy chemical, right? It helps your body know when it needs to shut down. And caffeine comes along and it attaches itself to the adenosine receptors in your brain. So the adenosine has nowhere to go, and your brain doesn't actually receive the message that it's time to quit. So for the longest time, I mean, it does speed you up, but I thought it just like gave me superpowers or something like that. I don't know. It uh, made me feel quite godlike. It increased my capacity to get more done in a day. It made me feel like all those really high-capacity people that I love to compare myself to. But that isn't really what's going on. All that caffeine is doing is making my body forget what its designed limit is. It doesn't receive the message that I'm exhausted. I'm forcing my mind and my body to forget that it should stop, that it should slow down. Now, everywhere I've looked, um, again, in this research, it seems to not be that big of a deal. I might be overstating this somewhat. Eventually, we do fall asleep, right? Even if you had a cup of coffee too late in the day, you'll eventually go to sleep. You'll eventually get your work done. There are some people who might develop high blood pressure or maybe some uh, digestive issues, but in general, human beings are pretty well adapted to this process going on inside them. But I'm a little bit of a cynic, and I think there's something else going on a little bit below the surface when we drink coffee, because this sounds more than just a, a, a bodily process to me, because I feel it going on in my soul as well. What are the long-term effects of operating above your designed limits? What happens when I work more than my natural state would allow me? Perhaps during the holidays or maybe right after you got back from the holidays, the bill came due for you. Sure did for me. You're noticing a toll from going way too hard. Maybe you uh, we're in a really tumultuous season full of lots of emotional challenges or way too much year-end business or, or goals that you had to reach. I know that for me, uh, the week after Christmas, I was really irritable, <laughs> not fun to be around. I had a harder time staying focused. We get ourselves in too deep. We're scared of the idea of stopping our own efforts. We keep striving to stay ahead, and all that we do is sink deeper and deeper into our own self-made pit. Then all of a sudden, all these walls crash in around us. The mountains give way. We cannot keep the pace that we're living our lives at, and we can't hold on to the same appearance that we've got it all together anymore. Well, this sermon and this text, this Psalm 46, are for when you are in trouble and when you are distressed for when you've been surviving on coffee for too long, beyond the limit. Your mountains are crashing in. You're burned out. You're overwhelmed. Psalm 46 is a place for you to turn when you're in over your head. But there's good news to be found in Psalm 46. And the good news is this. God is our stronghold. He dwells in a city that is anchored and prepared for you so you can take rest in him. Okay, so now we're going to turn our attention to the psalm and the text of the psalm itself. Um, let's look first at the prescription. Psalm 46 is a worship song, and it applies to everybody. 
It says it straightforwardly right up here on the first line. Some other psalms say things like, uh, when he fled from his son Absalom, or of David, or some other thing like that. This one does not have a specific reference to a time. It's just a worship song. Everybody sang it. It's a song that's meant to arise from and apply to every heart in the congregation of God Most High. And that's important for us because it speaks to the universality of the psalm. The text assumes that although none of us have seen calamities like the text is talking about, we probably all have an idea, at least, of what this level of trouble feels like. Which actually leads to the second observation. Let's look at the text again. Verse 1 talks about times of trouble, uh, but trouble could be a bad day at work, right? Uh, There's all sorts of different times of trouble. Um, But verse 2 clarifies and it actually raises the stakes. The earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, right? This This is not your average bad day. The Bible is talking about the foundations being destroyed and ripped out from underneath you entirely. It's talking about what happens after you've reached your limit or when things you've been depending on like the mountains staying where they're at suddenly are no longer dependable for you have you ever felt like something you depended on disappeared you might feel it now like the lid has been ripped off and life is just chaos you might think of a time like uh to make this modern if the american economy suddenly collapsed Right, and your 401k that you've been putting money in for decades and you've been depending on for your safety and security in the future is suddenly worth pennies. Your safety net is just gone. Or if your house burns down and all of your belongings are destroyed, that's what this level of calamity speaks to. That's what this psalm wants to make sure is addressed. And and a lot of those events are are once in a lifetime or hopefully never in a lifetime. Uh, That doesn't mean that we can just, you know, excuse the rest of us who haven't had our house burned down before. This still applies to us because we can still feel like the mountains are crashing into the heart of the sea. I think a lot of the time our psychological state is actually tricking us into believing that the mountains are crumbling before our eyes. And that, frankly, nothing feels more real than that trouble when it's in front of you. Our minds tell us that the waters roar all around us. And it could be untrue, maybe, from somebody else's vantage point. And they can say, you know, like, why are you so worried about this? But there's nothing more real from your own perspective, right? Many are acquainted with this feeling. It feels inescapable. And if you've ever suffered or know somebody who's suffered from anxiety or depression... This is the challenge, right? You may or may not be facing anything this calamitous, but at the same time, it still is so true that your mountains are crashing in and you can't get away from it. Your anxiety or your malaise are so incredibly firm that you can't believe anything else. Again, I think this applies to most of us, or if not, it applies to somebody who you care about. So when the mountains give way and the oceans are roaring, what can you do? But furthermore, even if your circumstances aren't this dire, and you aren't experiencing the effects of depression or anything of that sort, it can still, if God can still 
disrupt raging nations, melt the earth, provide safety in the midst of violent and radical destruction on the earth, then I think he's probably worth depending on for any medium-sized trouble or pea-sized trouble as well, right? If he's strong enough and firm enough for the greatest of trouble, he's certainly strong enough for the small troubles as well. So this psalm is for all of us and for any level of calamity. Okay, so those are our first two observations. Now we're going to go one layer deeper into some of the meaning of Psalm 46. Because even though this is a psalm for your troubles, it isn't actually a psalm about your troubles. This psalm is about God bringing safety and peace and rest to us forever. So let's look at the text again. Uh, The very first thing that happens The psalm opens with God's power and his safety. God is our refuge and our strength. So the very first thing that we need to know that this psalm is telling us is that God helps when we're in trouble. Start there. Your troubles and your difficulty and your overwhelmed feelings, they're all real, they're all true feelings, but they are occurring inside of a world where God is a refuge and God is is your strength. I hope you don't hear that negating the way that you're feeling, but it does remove the primacy of your feelings. There's something more true than what you're feeling. The order is important. First, God is your refuge and strength, and then secondarily, sometimes the earth gives way around you. Second, Uh, is that God is the active agent throughout the whole psalm. Notice that? God is within the city. God helps the city. God lifts his voice. He is with us as our fortress. He brings desolations. He makes wars to cease. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He speaks. All these different things are things that God does. This is a psalm about, again, God's strength doing stuff, right? Let me put it this way. When trouble comes upon you, all that the Bible has to talk about is what God is capable of and what God is doing. That's what the Bible wants to talk about. That's really instructive, I think. Isn't it? The Bible does not say, dig in, O Christian, because things won't get better until you fill in the blank. It speaks of God's supreme power over everything that has been made. But then lastly, there are only two commands in this psalm for us to obey. Come and see what the Lord has done. Again, this reinforces what we just talked about with God being the active agent. Come see what what God is doing. And then the second one, be still and know that I am God. Okay, so just be still. That's easy enough, right? I don't think stillness is that easy. I think the reason that I'm so prone to drinking coffee is that I don't want to be still, right? I want to be productive. It's so that I cannot be still, so that I keep going, keep grinding, get more done. 
even though my body and my mind and my soul would prefer it if I would slow down. My God would prefer it if I would be still and know that he is God. You might recall just last week, uh, Pastor Bob quoted Blaise Pascal, and he said that all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Remember that quote? It is really, really uncomfortable to be still when we see all of the things that are wrong in the world. Or even personally. When the world is not as it should be, we can become almost manic at times, just trying to do anything and everything that we can to alleviate any suffering that we have or those around us. Either we do that or we lift our hands, we become helpless, we sink back towards sloth, a hands-off attitude, or just frozen anxiety. We find ways to make up for or to freak out about the things that we don't see God doing in our world, and it wears us out. I think we naturally hate to trust anybody but ourselves. If you're around my age or older, you probably remember a lot about September 11th, 2001. You might have a recollection of where you were, who was around you, maybe the images you saw on TV, while the towers were maybe still standing and smoke was piling up, but uh, I remember there was a blue sky, gray smoke coming out of one of the towers. It was really scary, right? Um, And in the upcoming weeks and months, the government formed the Department of Homeland Security. It wasn't there before, right? And now it's a new um, department. The goal was to prevent the ongoing threat of terrorism. They had this color chart. Does anybody remember this? Some people do good. Um, There's this advisory system that would let the whole country know how much anxiety they should have collectively, I think. Like, that was its purpose. Like, you should feel scared right now. Um, And it went from low, guarded, elevated, high, severe, green, blue, yellow, orange, and red. Well, this chart is no longer in existence. It stopped in 2011, so it was in place for about a decade. Um, And it alternated between yellow, which is like in the middle there, elevated, and high, which is orange, for the entirety of its existence, except for four days in 2006 when it briefly jumped into the severe category. So it was somewhere between yellow and red for a decade, with you know brief segments of red, um, and eventually you just become numb to the whole thing, right? Like who who cared that we were high? If you're high all the time, I'm guessing by, by 2011, nobody even knew what what was contributing to these factors, right? It's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. Eventually, you're just like, I'm not going to pay attention to this. If everything is code orange, then who even knows what blue or green are are supposed to feel like? I'm pretty sure the last time I felt code green was probably like high school, right? I have no idea. Like, uh, we've been living our whole lives in a state of orange. We've been drinking coffee to increase our capacity, and all that it's done is make us forget to be still. A college ministry colleague of mine uh, once shared this quote with me. We've all been working so hard to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, 
that we've forgotten to listen to the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I think it's because we've been shaped, like for me ever since I was a little boy, that we will, we will be working for everything that we have. America, whether explicitly in our American dream or implicitly by constantly measuring ourselves up against the standard of success and the achievement of others, we're on these rails of progress. Right? And we keep working for that progress. And we can't blame our sin on just living in America, but it does help make sense of why we desire to fix everything so badly. Workaholism is one of those things that we might call a respectable sin, right? When you're knocked down, you're supposed to pick yourself back up by the bootstraps. Nothing is given to you. Everything is earned. And this becomes a way that we evaluate our lives and the lives of others as well. The reason I drink coffee is because it makes me feel like God. Because I can produce results. And man, when I produce results, that makes me feel good. When the mountains crash into the sea, give me a good old cup of joe and a shovel and I can start scooping it back up into the shape of a mountain again. And, and maybe I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but, but there are times that we are just tempted to become active and make the change happen. Here's some examples. If you're scared of becoming ill, or if you're frustrated by everybody else who's scared of becoming ill, be still and know that I am God. If you're a mother pushing your children to excellence so that they can attain the marks that they need to get into their school of choice, be still and know that I am God. If you're a father who's struggling to overcome financial hurdles for your family, but you didn't get the promotion, be still and know that I am God. If you want to progress, progress, progress in our society because you want to see it change so badly, be still and know that I am God. And if you've been sharing the gospel with your family member for decades, but they still show no signs of receptivity to the gospel, be still and know that I am God. And honestly, when I read this psalm, I know it's a struggle to let this sink in. We still want to continue to work, 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 press on towards progress. For me personally, it's progress in ministry, right? I'm about to start an apprenticeship, so I need to get better at preaching, so on and so forth, for the sake of church planting, whatever the cost. If I said what was really deep down in my heart, I would tell you that God needs me to do the work. I'm a slave to the work machine. And this is exactly the attitude that Psalm 46 is trying to pull me out of. St. Augustine, sorry about the formatting there. Uh, St. Augustine said in his famous confessions, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. This quote is saying a lot. right? The first thing it's it's obvious that our heart cannot be truly still at all if it tries to rest in anything other than God himself. But secondly, and this is easy to miss, 
It assumes that everybody is looking for rest. Everyone. We're all made for God. Every human, Christian and non-Christian, we're all looking for it. Everybody is searching rest. But only those who find God will get the rest that they desire. But for the person who's in trouble, when you are in trouble, the act of being still, it's still going to be uncomfortable, right? This doesn't take away any of the discomfort of being still because we still want to climb out of the hole that we are stuck in. Why should we have to endure the discomfort of being still? What's to gain by following the command of God here? If it's so outside of our natural propensities, why do it at all? Is it better to obey God or not? If I'm honest, the answer might not be that gratifying. God's promise is to be satisfied in Him, not in your own security. Do you see the difference? If, if you desire security, if that's your idol, you may never get what you want. But if you desire God, he promises you will have all of the security that you need. To be still means, in a calculated way, putting yourself at the mercy of God. The rest that comes from obeying is a peace in your soul, a satisfaction in the heart that you cannot find on your own and you can't find it anywhere else. You might be able to say it this way. Stillness is the posture you put yourself in to allow God to grant you real rest. Jesus himself said in Matthew, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Did you know that Jesus wants you to experience something that cannot be found apart from him? Did you know that he desires your rest so much that he was willing to pay tremendous cost to get it for you? Jesus earnestly wishes for rest in your soul. I want to make an appeal to anyone who isn't yet fully trusting in God. If that's you and you're here today, I, I give you tremendous credit for being here. Thank you for being here. Um, God wants you to be satisfied. He really does. And you're going to find this to be true all over the Bible. Um, but you won't find any satisfaction greater than having the living God who can melt the earth with the sound of his voice, as it said in verse 6, and yet chooses to call us sons and daughters, age after age. And to receive this blessing, the instructions here are really straightforward, and you can follow them easily 
not simply but easily. Be still and know that he is God. And then the Lord of hosts will be with you, and the God of Jacob will be your fortress as well. But then everyone, uh, honestly, you, you might have a hard time making a mental picture of what it even means to dwell with God in safety and security forever, right? That sounds almost like a platitude. It sounds abstract. It sounds grand or distant. But thankfully, this psalm provides a nice word picture for us too, if you can't picture it in your head. Take a look with me at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. This verse is giving a future hope for a city that God dwells in and that He is protecting and keeping ready for you. And this city shows up in, in multiple places throughout the Bible, but the most exhilarating place is in Revelation 21. And I want to read some of Revelation 21 to us. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is John's vision of what will happen when Jesus returns to claim his bride. There's this new holy city with God in her midst. God is there now. And the language of a bride means that this city is the people of God. The, the bride here referring to Christ's bride, all of the people of the church. God's presence will be full and visible and splendid, and all of the things that have currently worn you out, have beaten you down, have confused you, left you helpless, all of those things will be gone. And all that will be left is the glorious presence of God among us. So let's trust in that promise for a new city. If we're willing to be still, and only if we're willing to be still, God will bring you a new type of rest that we cannot experience or achieve apart from him. God is going to be a fortress for us, as the psalm states, only when we trust him in stillness. So what am I saying, that none of us should drink coffee anymore so that we can be still? No, this text makes no limits on coffee. Um, but it is saying that it is wise to listen more intently to the signals that we are in trouble. Be honest about them. Because God cannot be your stronghold if you can't recognize that you need one. If you feel overwhelmed The feeling of being overwhelmed could be a signal from God to remind you that in this city, there are still troubles, but that you were built, designed to belong in the city of God, dwelling with him. Let your troubles drive you to recognize your human limitations and God's abundant power. 
Be still and keep your eyes on God. Because in stillness, we become aware of God's strength and His goodness in providing absolutely every good thing. Let Him be your stronghold when the mountains are crumbling. You have only to be still. Let's pray. God, keep your wondrous works ever before our eyes. All the desolations you're bringing on this earth, the wars that you are ending. Would you, through, through the proclamation of the Lordship of Jesus, exalt yourself among the nations? And would you help us to remain still, God? For you are a mighty God, sovereign over all this earth, and our trust is in you. But make us a place in the city in which you now dwell. And bring us there to live with you, God. We need you to do all of this, Father, because we need rest. We've been constantly searching for it, and we know that we can only find it in you. So let us wait upon it, the rest that Jesus has entered into when he was resurrected, because we await the day that we can trade in our troubles for true, unending rest with Jesus. It's in Christ our Savior's name we pray. Amen.